Today we are continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians as we are going to be going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. If you've been with us the past couple of months, we start in the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, and I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying this. I feel like I've been learning so much about the book of 1 Corinthians, and I hope that you have as well. Last, last Sunday, we, we saw in chapter 5 how um, Paul uh, was talking to them about a really disturbing situation that was going on in their church. And there was a case of immorality. And today, being a family service, I'll just, I'll just keep it very, very general, but there was a case of immorality within their church between a man and his mother-in-law. And um, Paul was really exasperated by this uh, because the Corinthians, not only were they tolerating this type of thing going on, this immorality within their church, but they were actually being very brazen about it. And, and they had this misconception. They thought that they were so spiritual that things that they did with their physical bodies didn't really matter. So none of that really mattered because they're Christians, they're so spiritual, none of those physical things matter. And Paul um, was correcting this mistaken notion that they had, and he said, no, that, that matters very much what we do with our bodies, and, and there shouldn't be this immorality within our community. And he used the example of Passover and how leaven was not to be found in any of the homes during the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because just like when you take a bit of leaven and you put it in a fresh batch of dough, the leaven will spread and leaven the entire batch. He said, that's like sin. Sin, when you leave it unchecked in the community of God, it spreads. It spreads. But God has called us to be a holy community set apart for him. So there shouldn't be that type of immorality going on within the church. He says, you know, we don't judge people on the outside of the church. They're not acknowledging God. They don't live by our standard. Um, we can't come out with the Bible and say, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. They don't even believe in the Bible necessarily. But within the church, we certainly should be judging each other within the church. And, and by judge, meaning discerning what is right and wrong, and that we are called to be a holy community. And when there is sin, we need to point that out, and we need to deal with that in the community. So he talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, verses 1 number 11, it goes on here. We're going to look at this passage here. It says this. Let me read through it first. It says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? 
Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is God's Word. Now, um, when Paul starts off chapter 6, here in verse 1, he says, when one of you has a grievance against another. Notice the word there is when, not if. When. When one of you has a grievance against another. It's going to happen. Even in the church, even amongst the people of God, at times we are going to rub each other the wrong way. You're going to offend somebody, somebody's going to offend you. You're going to feel like somebody said something insensitive towards you, or somebody misrepresented you, or somebody's going to feel that way about you. Not if, but when, even within the church of God. Now, this is important to understand because, you know, why do many people leave the church that they are a part of? I'll tell you, in my own experience, most of the time, it's not because of a difference in theology. Like, hey, I was a part of your church for five years, and uh, I know that you guys believe in spiritual gifts, but, you know, my view has changed on that. I don't believe in spiritual gifts anymore, so I'm leaving this church. Or, or um, I have a different view on baptism, and that's leading, leaving me to, leading me to leave, the church, leave the church or something like that. Generally, most of the time, that doesn't happen. That's much more rare. What is much more common, though, is we leave the church because there's somebody that you don't get along with. Somebody rubbed you the wrong way, hurt you, wronged you, and because of that, you decide to leave the church. That is so much more common. It's a real problem. It's a real issue in the church. Now, just so that we don't think that, you know, man, Renewal Church has so many problems. Man, if I could only be a part of the church in the New Testament, if I could be in that church where the power of the Holy Spirit was, and a church that was like planted by the Apostle Paul, and, and where there are these miracles and amazing things happening, then that would be a church that would be amazing. I wish we could be a part of a church like that. But lest we think that the church in the New Testament was perfect and that there's a perfect church out there. In the church in Corinth, a church that Paul planted, people were actually suing each other. In this case here, one brother took another brother to court and was suing him because of some wrong that was done to him, because he was defrauded in some way. He actually took this person to court in Corinth. 
down in the marketplace or wherever court was. And Paul is absolutely exasperated by this. He is so appalled by this. He says, does he dare? When one of you have an issue with each other, do you dare sue your brother? Do you dare take your brother to court? How dare you do that, Corinthians? I cannot believe that that is actually happening among you. He says what you should be doing instead is you bring this grievance, this difference between you before the saints, before the Christians. How in the world can you possibly bring this out into the secular court? Now, he says in verses 2 and on here, he gives reasons for this. He says, do you not realize, Christians, that we as Christians are going to judge the world? Not only that, we are even going to judge angels, meaning fallen angels, demons. Um, in the Bible, it talks about this, but it doesn't go into tremendous detail. So probably means that we shouldn't be spending a ton of time speculating like how this is going to work. Like, are we all going to wear this black robe and sit on this really high chair and judge the world and whatnot? We don't really know how it's going to work. But the Bible does say that as believers, if you are a follower of Jesus, at the end of time, when God returns to judge the world and to judge fallen angels and to separate the sheep from the goats, if you remember that parable from Jesus, we are going to participate that in that in some way. In some way, we are going to take part in that. We don't know exactly how it's going to work, but that is going to be something that we do. Remember, you may say, well, Ulysses, didn't Paul just say in chapter 5, we are not to judge the world? Yes, we're not to judge the world now. But when God returns to judge the world, he's going to have us participate in that in some way. So this is why Paul is saying, how can it make any sense whatsoever, Corinthians, that if you as believers are one day going to judge the world and even the cosmos of fallen angels, that we are gonna, we're going to be doing that, why in the world would you take a disagreement between brothers and then bring that to the fallen world for judgment? That makes no sense whatsoever. We're going to judge the world and the cosmos. And now we're going to bring our differences to the world for the world's judgment? How can you possibly think of doing something like that, Corinthians? You know, just to give an illustration. Like, and I know parents will be able to relate with this. But let's say in our home, my daughter Audrey, my son Noah they fight and have a disagreement. I know it never happens in your home with your kids, parents, but it happens sometimes in our home and they fight and they, they, they just can't agree and they feel hurt and Audrey feels wrong by Noah and Noah feels wrong by Audrey. What happened in that situation? Christine and I will come in and be good parents and come and listen to the situation We'll listen to their story. Noah, what's your story? Audrey, what's your story? We'll think about it. We'll apply, try to apply biblical principles to it. And then we will come up with our judgment, our arbitration. We say, this is what happened. This is what we think. And this is how we need to reconcile things. That is very normal, right? That's what parents do. Imagine 
Now imagine if Christine and I, we got into marital conflict and we get into a big fight. Would it make sense for us to go, Audrey, Noah, come here, sit down, sit in this very high chair here and Christine and I will sit on the floor in front of you and we need you to adjudicate something for us. And we, we tell them what happened in this fight and she was being insensitive. No, he wasn't listening to me and, and we can't resolve this. And, and, and Audrey, Noah, you tell us what we should do. And they say, well, the answer is simple. You guys need to give us more screen time on our devices and that will solve it. Wait, 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 no, 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 final, that's it. Judge's gavel has come down. An additional hour of screen time for all of us and the problem will be solved. Court is dismissed. No, right? We wouldn't do that. That would be ridiculous. Noah's like pumping his, yeah, no. Hypothetical example. That wouldn't make any sense. That would be totally reversing the order because we are parents. We are supposed to adjudicate issues with our kids, not the other way around. Now, when they're older, I'm sure they will be able to provide much wisdom to us in our situation as well. Paul is saying, we're going to judge the world. It makes no sense for the world to judge us. Why in the world would you do that, Corinthians? So in verse 5, he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Now, there's a dig here that's going on that if you have been with us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 on to here, you might realize. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 4 especially, wisdom was a big issue and how they thought, you know, Paul was not really that wise. He's not that eloquent. He's not a good speaker. He's not wise by Greco-Roman standards and the Hellenistic culture around them. Oh, uh, uh, you know, Apollos, he speaks so well. He's wise and not this Paul. He doesn't really, he's not very eloquent or whatnot. And Paul is saying, if that's, you know, you guys who are so wise, could it be that there's nobody here wise enough to be able to judge between these two brothers, that they need to take each other to court? Brothers and sisters, church, the reality is, the biblical truth is, we do have such wisdom. We, as the church of God, have the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit here to be able to help us to adjudicate, to, to reconcile differences between brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the temple of the living God and the Holy Spirit dwells here. We have that wisdom. The world does not. It's like when Solomon became king and he prayed for wisdom from God. You remember what happened right after that? There was that, that case that came up, two prostitutes, both had newborn children. They were sleeping in the same room. They were both sleeping with their baby and one woman smothered her baby in the middle of the night. She woke up, she saw that her baby was dead and she took her dead baby and she snuck over to the other prostitute, the other woman, and switched, switched the babies and took the living baby over to her. And in the morning, when they all woke up, the woman who had her baby stolen saw her baby, saw that her baby was dead and she was freaking out. But then when she looked more closely at the baby, she realized, wait, that's not my baby. You took my baby to the other woman. The woman was like, no, I did not. That's your baby. The dead baby is yours. The living baby is mine. 
And then this ended up at court. Nobody could figure this out. They ended up at court in front of Solomon, and it became a case of she said, she said. No other witnesses. What do you do? What do you do in a case like this? What did Solomon say? Bring me a sword. Cut the baby in half and let each woman have half a baby. And then the woman who was the true mother, you remember the story, right? Said, no, 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 no. Let the other woman have the baby out of the love in her heart of not wanting to see that happen to her baby. Said, let the other woman have the baby. What did the other woman say? Cut the baby in half. Make it even. You give me half, you give her half. And then Solomon said, the true mother is the woman who said, let the other woman have the baby. And then all Israel was in awe. And they saw that the wisdom of God was at work within Solomon to adjudicate an impossible situation that could only be figured out by the wisdom of God. Solomon had that wisdom. Brothers and sisters, the same spirit of God that was at work within Solomon is here within the church, within our community. He is alive. He is living in our midst with the wisdom of God to help us to be able to solve our differences with each other. Do you know how encouraging that is, brothers and sisters? That is so encouraging. Please, let's take a moment and really think about what this is saying. The Bible is saying we have the wisdom of God here in this church to help us to be able to work through anything. To work through anything. Whatever differences, whatever grievances that we may have with each other, whatever wrongs have been committed, hurt feelings, insensitivities, the Holy Spirit is here. And He can help us to work through all of those differences within this community. The church is a place that you actually do not need to leave because you can't get along with each other. Because the Holy Spirit is here to help us to be able to settle differences. We actually can be a place where in John 17, what Jesus described, the unity of the church would be so great that because of our love for each other, the outside world would look at us and know that we are Jesus' disciples. That actually can happen. It can happen here. Sometimes we look at it and we say, oh, that can never happen. Man, I've been hurt in church. I've been in churches where people didn't get along and there were cliques and all these things. And yeah, I've been a part of them too. And it's happened here before too. It happens. But the Spirit of God is available to us to be able to work through those issues if we would pursue the biblical means of reconciliation between our brothers and our sisters. You know, I mean, Paul was so exasperated because when, when you take your brother or your sister to court, when you sue them in court, that is essentially the same thing as saying God doesn't have an answer to this problem. That's what that's saying. It's like God is in heaven going, oh, I don't know, that's a tough one. That's a really hard one. You'd better take it down to the county, clerk, uh, county courthouse there. That judge over there, he's a really sharp guy. He will be able to figure this out because I got, I got no idea, man. I have no idea. That's what, that's what they're saying. When they go out into the secular court, Paul's saying, how can you do that? Do you not understand the spirit of God that is here? And when you do that, when you sue your brother or sister in court, you also are depriving your brother or sister of the wisdom of God that can take place within the church. You're depriving them of that as well by dragging them out and bringing this case before a secular judge. You're depriving them as well 
of the wisdom of God that can come through the church. What does this mean for us brothers and sisters? Very practically. Very practically, what this means is that how do, how do we live this out? It is, we can see the guidelines for this in Matthew chapter 18, as I mentioned last week when Jesus was talking about church discipline. What do we do when there's issues of sin and when somebody wrongs somebody else? And there's a framework there. What we do is this. When, when you have a grievance between two people, when you have an issue with somebody or you know somebody has an issue with you, first thing you do is you go talk directly to that person. You don't be passive-aggressive. You don't just sweep it under the rug. You don't just ignore the other person and just sit on the opposite sides of the room like in this corner, that corner, in this corner, that corner, and that person comes this way and I'm going to walk this way. We, we don't do that. We talk to each other directly. We be prayerful about it. We be humble. We ask for humility. We speak with gentleness. That's what we seek to do. And if that doesn't work, what do we do? We bring along one or two other people as well into this situation. You get mediation. You get mediation. That's what Paul's talking about here. You get other people involved in the situation who have the Spirit of God within them to listen to you, to help, to reconcile, to help um, arbitrate the situation. And that's super important as well, brothers and sisters, because, you know, in this whole passage, when Paul says, you... He's using the y'all form of you through the whole passage. He's not just talking to these two brothers that were in court. He's talking to the whole church. He's saying, how can you as a church let this happen? He was addressing the Corinthian church. He didn't just say, oh, those two have a problem. No, he said, you guys, how can you guys let this happen between these two people? What he was saying to the Corinthians is, when you see issues between brothers or sisters Get involved in the situation. Help to mediate. Brothers and sisters, if you know that there are people in our church that have this type of division or, or issue between them or unresolved grievance, don't just say, whoa, hate to be them. That stinks. I'm glad it's not affecting me. Get involved in the situation. Pray. Ask for God's wisdom. But come and seek to be a mediator. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When, when we as a church, when you see brothers or sisters who have this grievance between each other, and you are willing to roll up your sleeves and get involved for the sake of peace, to make peace, you are blessed. God says you will be blessed for that. And not only that, you are walking in the footsteps of God. When Jesus came to die on the cross, he came to make peace between us and God. He came as a mediator between God and men. He came to make peace between us and God by giving his own life, by entering into human form, taking on human form. Brothers and sisters, when we are willing to get involved in helping brothers and sisters to resolve their differences, we are being like Jesus in mediating between others. We're walking in his footsteps. And you know what? If that doesn't work, get leadership involved. Get me involved. Come and tell me and, 
and I will be happy to get involved. And I'm not going to sit there as the only judge and jury. If we need be, I'll get our provisional elders, Pastor Mark, Dr. Ryan, and we'll sit down and we'll listen to the, the situation and we'll talk it through and we will help as well because this is what the church does. This is what the church does. If there's anybody here and you're suing somebody else here, please come talk to me after church. Please come make that your number one application. Come talk to me after church. Because I believe this. The Bible says we can work this out because we have the Spirit of God. The world doesn't. We have the Spirit of God to help us to be able to work through any situation that we may experience. And Paul says here in verse 6, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Paul goes on to say that, he says, are you kidding me? When you, do you realize when you go in front of this public court with the, the jury and the judge, and some people say that the courts actually took place in the marketplaces, they're open air. It was kind of like people watched while they were shopping, kind of like, you know, like Judge Judy, like for entertainment and stuff like that, that kind of thing. Paul's saying, are you kidding me? When you do that, what does that say to the world about who we are as the people of God? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we, the church, are supposed to be the alternative to the world. In this dark, broken world, we are supposed to be a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. That's supposed to be us. What is the world going to think when two brothers from the same church go into the courtroom because they can't resolve their differences and they're suing each other? What is the world going to think? Isn't that Bob in there? Suing Bill? Bob, he invited me to church last week. He was talking about how we love each other in church. You know, we, we love God. God has given us the power to love each other. It's such a wonderful place. You can come join us. And Bob is suing Bill. That's no different than us. That's worse, man. That's worse. Paul's saying, how can you do that? You give the church a black eye when that happens. I was reading online a local Bay Area newspaper a few months ago, a while back. Uh, I don't know how big the circulation is, maybe 10,000 people, 15,000 people. I have no idea how many views they get. But there's an article about one church suing another church. And I was looking at that. I was like, I read the article. I don't know all the details that are involved in this situation. I don't know everything that's going on. But I do know this, that gives the church a black eye. That gives the church a black eye. How many thousands of non-believers living in this area read that article, looked at that and said, church, that's the hope of the world? I hope they get their act together, suing each other. I cannot help but believe, based on the Bible, 1 Corinthians 6, that there is a way that believers can come together through the Holy Spirit to be able to work things out. Paul's saying, how can you bring this before non-believers? Now, please understand, Paul is not anti-courts. Let, let me just make sure that that's clear. He's not anti-courts. Romans chapter 13 talks about the civil government and how it was instituted by God and how it, it plays a very important function. Like, in our church, if God forbid somebody like murdered somebody else in our church, we would not go, hey, guys, 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 nobody call 911. 
let's just, let's just, let's just bring it in. Let's bring it in and we'll, we'll talk this out together. Okay, let's go hide the body in the back. We'll figure this out. No, call 911. Call 911, okay? There's a place for the civil courts and the state to get involved. Paul says the, the court, the civil government bears the sword for a reason, right? But what was happening with the Corinthian church here is these are monetary disputes. These are, these are like, hey, you said that, you know, you're a contractor and, hey, I wanted some work done in my house and, hey, why not have a brother in the church do the work? And you said you were going to do this, but you didn't do it right. And the other guy's like, no, but you kept changing your mind about what you wanted me to do. That's not my fault. No, I didn't. I wrote it out first. That's the kind of stuff that was going on. It was about money. It was civil stuff. That's the kind of stuff that was going on there. Not violent crime, not things like that. And Paul's saying, in terms of those types of things, money, these types of disputes, bring it into the church. We can talk about it. Does this mean that Christians can't sue non-believers in court? No, that doesn't necessarily mean that. I don't think Paul is saying that. That is a separate issue. That certainly requires a lot of prayer and thoughtfulness. Maybe, maybe you want to stop that person from harming other people. Maybe you have good motives in, in trying to bring about justice. And, and there can be a right reason for doing things. That's not Paul's emphasis here, though. His point here is that they were suing each other within the church. And that was something that he could not believe was happening there. And then in verse 7, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Now, that is something that I think is very difficult for us, especially as Americans to hear. We Americans are very into our rights. He can't do that to me. I'm taking the court, right? I don't know why I'm talking like that. Um, how dare she say that about me? You know, we, we are very much into our rights. No one's going to trample on my rights. And, and we are, so to hear Paul say something like, why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? It's kind of really difficult for us to think about, right? I think our natural response is like, then am I supposed to just lay down and be a doormat for people? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? I mean, how is this practical? How is this realistic? First, we need to understand that Paul is not saying that, hey, if somebody wrongs you, you need to continually let that person wrong you again and again and again. That's not what Paul's saying. You hired that guy to do work on your house. He didn't do the work. Doesn't mean you need to hire him again. <laughs> Don't hire him again then have boundaries. Boundaries are good. Boundaries can be good things. That's not what Paul is saying here when he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? What he is saying is this. He's saying to the Corinthians this. If your money, your physical property is so important to you that it would lead you to actually take your brother to court because you want it back that badly, you've already lost. You are so in love with money or the things of this world. Your perspective is all off already. If, if getting revenge, if, if that is so important to you, 
that you would rather, you would take your brother in the court, then you are so fixated on getting revenge in this world that you, you don't have any eternal perspective. He ruined my reputation. Now I'm going to ruin his. If that's what we're thinking, Paul is saying, if that's your mindset, that you would go to court because you have to have that, you've already lost. This is where Jesus' non-retaliation ethic comes into play, and it's so important. When in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You bust my eye, I bust your eye. You knock out my tooth, I knock out your tooth. Jesus said, you heard that. That's what it was under the old law. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus is not saying that being slapped on the cheek is pleasant. Nobody likes to be slapped on the cheek. But Jesus' non-retaliation ethic is based upon eternal perspective. One that says, you know, if I'm defrauded, physical possessions are temporary. I came into this world with nothing. I will leave this world with nothing. Treasure in heaven is what really matters. It's okay if I get defrauded. It's not my life. It's not the end of the world. If somebody says something about me and hurts my reputation, you know what? My true reputation is how God sees me. Not how this person sees me. Not how this person has talked about me. My true reputation is in the eyes of God. And when I enter into the kingdom of God, God will let me know how I have lived my life. Not this person or others. Paul is saying we need to live with an eternal perspective. That's what Jesus is saying. We need to live with an eternal perspective. When we have that eternal perspective, we're able to say, you know what? I can suffer wrong. I can be defrauded. It's not worth it. I'm not going to drag this person into court over this. I'm not, I'm going to lose my money, but I'm not going to lose the church's testimony over this. It's not worth it. Now, lest we think that Paul is saying to those who are defrauding others and wronging others, lest they think, oh, nobody's going to take me to court. Then I have free reign to kind of keep doing this. Wow, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I ain't going to, I could just keep doing this and nothing's going to happen to me. No, 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 no. Paul, in verse 8, he says this, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he gives that list. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul takes his attention away from the, the brother who's suing, the brother who was defrauded, the brother who was wronged, the one who is suing and taking his brother to court. He kind of moves on from him to the brother who was defrauding and who is wronging. And he says, that doesn't mean you could do whatever you want. In fact, anyone, if you don't change, if you, cons if you persist 
in this unrepentant sin of wronging and defrauding. In fact, anybody who persists in unrepentant sin in any of these ways and the, the countless other ways that the Bible talks about that's not in this list, if we can persist in unrepentant sin in that way, you don't, the, the secular court, prison, that's not what you need to worry about. You need to worry about the final day of judgment when you stand before God and God possibly saying to you, away from me, I never knew you. You're risking your very soul by persisting in this unrepentant sin. You keep doing this, you should have no assurance of your salvation. Because if the Holy Spirit lives within you, there will be the fruit of the Spirit more and more over time. Jesus said, you shall know a tree by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. If in your life you have persistent bad fruit coming out and you're unrepentant, not desiring to change that, you should not think that you are a good tree, a saved tree, a Christian tree. You should really wonder if you might not be a bad tree, an unsaved tree, a non Christian tree. So Paul says, if you persist in this, your very soul is at risk. Lastly, to close here, I invite the worship team up. In verse 11, it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What Paul is saying here is, you know, church, Corinthian church, as well as renewal church, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was raised again from the empty tomb so that we could be a different type of community, so that we could be an alternative for the world, so that we could be the city on a hill and a light that, that is put on a lampstand, so that we could be that. It's not that we're not going to wrong each other. It's going to happen. We are a church filled with people who, are, who still struggle with sin. That's the reality. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to be insensitive. We're going to wrong each other. That is going to happen. But when we do, when we do, we don't need to walk away. We can seek the wisdom of God that is here in our community to help us to reconcile and to continue to have unity here in this church. You know, like, like I said before, I, I'm guessing nobody here is suing somebody else. Um, we actually, probably in this area, there aren't many of us who, you know, like are contractors or, or somebody that you get into some business dealing with each other and you can't agree about that. That's probably less common in our church or here. But that doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to us. Because we will wrong each other. We will hurt one another. We will have differences between each other. There will be grievances in our relationships. Maybe the application for you, especially for you this morning is, if there is a grievance between anybody here, you have a grievance against somebody else, or you know somebody else has a grievance against you, and maybe you've been ignoring it. 
were just kind of thinking, well, you know what, I, I don't want to deal with this. And you just kind of, there's this like wall between you or passive aggressiveness. Or maybe, maybe you don't go to secular court with your grievance, but you go to the court of public opinion. You talk about the other person to other people. You want other people to say, you're right, that person's wrong. You want that person to get punished in the court of public opinion in the church and people to, oh my goodness, he's that type of person? She said, what? We do things like that. And that's why we leave when the church can't get along. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, brother, sister, the Holy Spirit is here to help you and us to be able to live differently. We can overcome that. How long will we go from church to church to church? How long will the world see reports of churches that couldn't get along and they split or churches suing one another? We're called to be the light of the world. And we can because we are the temple of the living God. And the Holy Spirit is here. I want to challenge you. If you see a grievance, please, brother, sister, maybe for you this morning, God's calling you to be a mediator, to say, hey, can, I, can, can we talk? I, I, I notice that something's going on here. Can, can, I, can I help? Can we talk about this? And man, can we pursue unity? Can we pray together? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for this person? Maybe we can get together and we could talk about this. And I could bring another brother in together. Can we seek the unity that the Bible is saying we can have and we should have? This reminds me of what Pastor Sam Lee said at our retreat recently when he was talking about community. He said, you don't, if you're looking for perfect community, he said, you don't stumble into community. You build community. You build it. Brothers and sisters, you want to build community? It means at times doing the hard work of having difficult conversations or rolling up your sleeves and being willing to get dirty in other people's grievances for the sake of unity. But you will be blessed when you do so. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is what Jesus died for. A holy church that the world sees and says there's some power there that holds them together in this fractious society. And I want to know what that is. Let's stand together, brothers and sisters. Let me pray for us first. God, oh Lord, we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would descend upon our hearts right now, God, and bring about deep conviction, God. Lord, especially in the fissures and the, the divisions that there might be, and I'm sure there are in a church of our size, grievances, maybe hurts from long ago that were buried kind of just simmering beneath the surface or have resulted in coldness and disconnection in our family. Oh God, Lord, would you give us faith to see that you came, Jesus, that you, oh great mediator between God and men, you are our example and that your spirit lives within us to be able to bring about unity and to help us to be peacemakers and bring reconciliation, God. Oh, Lord, we pray, God, come. Come, Lord God. 
give us a burning desire, a conviction to seek unity, that it is worth pursuing and that we are able to achieve it.